Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, and also Revelation, chapter 5, on page 1030. So Jeremiah, chapter 32, we're in a series making our way through the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, beginning in verse 6, and I'm actually going to read through verse 25. And then in Revelation chapter 5, 1 through 10. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 6. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, By my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. For the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver, I signed the deed, sealed it, got a witness, and weighed the money on the scales. Then I took the the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions in the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of guard. I charged Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel, that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day in Israel and among all mankind, and have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror. And you gave them this land, which you swore to their forefathers to give them, and land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore you have made all the disaster come upon them. Behold... The siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of the sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, 
Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And we'll be starting our look at Jeremiah by looking at Jeremiah chapter 32. This is an unusual real estate transaction. Everybody here knows the three most important things to consider when buying a piece of real estate. The three most important things are location, location, location. And this morning I want to add one to that list and that's the word anticipation. Anticipation is the ability to look ahead so that even if you're looking at a piece of property that doesn't look desirable or doesn't look valuable today, somehow you know that at some point in the future, this piece of property is going to have tremendous value. And so you have to be able to anticipate that. A good example of this is maybe the story that some of you know about Figure 8 Island. Figure 8 Island is the little stretch of island that goes north from Wrightsville Beach. And so if you go up to Shell Island and you look north, the next piece of land you see is Figure 8 Island. And it runs up the coast about five miles. And in 19, uh, for, for many, many years, that land was basically two tracks that a couple of men owned and they didn't develop it. And in 1954, Hurricane Hazel hit the coast of North Carolina and just decimated the coastline. And so in 1955, these men who owned these two pieces of land that made up Figure 8 Island decided, you know, maybe this property isn't that valuable. I mean, who's going to want to move out here with storms like this coming and battering the coast? And so these men sold the entire tract to two brothers who lived in Wilmington, for the total of $100,000. See, see, the two brothers had some anticipation. They, they anticipated that perhaps someday people would actually want to come to the coast and either own a house or come and be a vacation house. And reading about that online this week, one 
person put the value, now 50 years later or so, of the entire island at $200 million. So pretty good anticipation. I wish I had that kind of anticipation ability. But the, the, the ability to say, I know that this doesn't look necessarily very valuable today, but I'm anticipating that if I would invest in this today, at some future for that investment. And that's exactly what's happening here in Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah... Most people here can appreciate that idea. And the reason the real estate market in Judah is rapidly declining is because the northern neighbor of the Babylonians are coming in and they're just by force taking the land. And so the land doesn't have nearly the value. Now Jeremiah had been preaching for 40 years that this was going to happen. He's saying to his people, look, if you don't turn around if you don't let go of the things of this world and begin to reattach yourself to God, then there's going to be an invasion of our country and you're not going to have anything left. And that's exactly what's happening in Jeremiah 32. In fact, Jeremiah's message had become so unpopular, if you read the first few verses in the chapter, that the king just got tired of listening to Jeremiah, so he decided I'd just put Jeremiah in prison. That way I don't have to listen to him anymore. Look at verse 22 of chapter 32. This is Jeremiah speaking. And you gave them this land. God has given the land to the Israelites, which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and they took possession of it. But they did not obey your voice. They did not walk in your law. In fact, they did nothing that you commanded them to do. Therefore you have made all this disaster to come upon you. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to take the city. Famine and sword and pestilence. The Chaldeans or the Babylonians are now fighting against Jerusalem. Right in the middle of this hurricane, this, this Category 5 Babylonian invasion that's tearing up the whole countryside of Judah. Jeremiah sitting in a cell, and however he heard this voice, or however he had this impression, he got a word from the Lord that says, Jeremiah, I'd like you to start investing in real estate right now. Right in the middle of the Category 5 hurricane of the Babylonian invasion, Jeremiah has given instructions to go ahead and, man, this is a great time to invest, Jeremiah. And I'm guessing if Jeremiah had a realtor for Judah, and he had called up his realtor saying, you know, what's the property down there in Anathoth going for? He'd say, well, you know, it's not worth anything because the Babylonians are just coming in and owning it outright. You think I should buy? No. It's not a good location. It's, it's not a good investment, Jeremiah. Save your 17 shekels of silver and price another time. But Jeremiah wasn't buying based on a current location. He was buying based on an anticipation. 
so as we look at the passage today, I want to just look at it in these two ways. I want to just notice Jeremiah, the nervous investor. And secondly, I just want to take a look at the passage as a whole and see that his investment is a shadow of a future investor. So as we look at what's happening in Jeremiah, we're going to be able to look and see this real future investment that's happening in the person of Christ. So let's look at Jeremiah, uh, part one. When I look at Jeremiah, I've got to confess when I come to a passage like this that I get some kind of delight, and I'm not saying this is good, but I get some kind of delight looking at God's people struggling. I don't know why that is, but it's really helpful for me to see the human side of these people because my tendency is to just sort of put these people on a pedestal and say, wow, they must have been so faithful. They just must have no questions, no hesitation. I mean, even if they were asked to do this sort of the wildest thing, and in this case, invest in a falling market, they're able to somehow do this. And, and I just think, I'm not that kind of person. When you read about Jeremiah and he shows you, and I wasn't that kind of person either. I had a lot of hesitation. I had a, a lot of anxiety about what God was asking me to do. And you see it in this particular passage. We've seen Jeremiah's hesitation before. He had a series of complaints that were meant to God. And now we see his uncertainty. He's he, he hearing the word from the Lord, and then he's looking in the circumstances and he's concluding. God is saying, you know, here's what I want you to do with your life. Here's what I'd like for you to do with your finances. Here's what I'd like for you to do with your time. And you just look at it and you go, that's not a good investment right now. And that, that's the way Jeremiah was feeling. Jeremiah understood better than anyone that the Babylonians were going to fall or going to take over Jerusalem. And he hears this word from the Lord. Jeremiah, I need you in a very public way. You notice in 9 through 15, this transaction in a very public way, I need you to go buy a piece of property. And I know it looks like a bad investment. I know it's currently in a bad location. But you're going to have to trust me. Because this purchase that looks like a bad investment, this bad estate that you're going to go purchase is going to help my people who are also in a very bad estate. To help them understand that the Lord God has not forgotten about His people. That something great, there is a hope, there is a future for God's people. And you buying this in such a public way, right in the middle of this Category 5 hurricane of the Babylonian invasion, is going to help my people understand that even though they have turned their back on me, I haven't turned my back on them. And I'm going to do something in the future that's going to be great. And I want you to buy this field as a kind of sermon, a living sermon to help my people understand that I have a hope and a future for them. Now I'm guessing when you just read verse 7 here, 
Behold, or verse 6, the word of the Lord came to me. I'm guessing by the end of verse 7, Jeremiah was thinking that, you know, this wasn't a word from the Lord. I don't know. I just have indigestion or something. And I'm just, I'm guessing wrong. This isn't the right word. Have you ever felt that way? It's some kind of impression and yeah, that didn't look right, so it must not be a word from the Lord. And I think Jeremiah is having some hesitation until the cousin walks in and says exactly what the Lord had told him. And then he says, look down there in verse 8, Then, then I knew it was a word from the Lord. I wasn't really sure if it was just me or some kind of, you know, bad dinner I had. But now I know because this guy has come in and immediately Jeremiah makes an investment. You can read that in verse 9 through 15. So he, he, he's, he has some question. He gets a confirmation because this guy walks in and says exactly what the Lord had said. And then he says, okay, I'm ready to buy. And he buys. And then notice in verse 16. Immediately after, he's, he's, he's put all of his chips on the table. He's made the purchase. He's signed the deed. The deed's now in Baruch's hands and it's going to sit in some kind of clay pot. Verse 16, after I'd given the deed of purchase to Baruch, I prayed to the Lord and I said, Ah, Lord God. That, that little phrase, ah, in the Hebrew is an expression of pain. I think a, a good translation would be, Oh God, what have I done? I, I just made this investment. I, I can't take my signature back off the deed. I mean, I think Jeremiah is experiencing some buyer's remorse. I mean, right after the purchase made, then you're, you're going, Oh gosh, maybe I've made the wrong decision. And so that's the pain that Jeremiah is experiencing here. Philip Ryken in his commentary says this, as soon as Jeremiah put his money where his mouth was, he turned to God in prayer. And it's a prayer for the bewildered. For 40 years, Jeremiah preached the destruction of Jerusalem. But when the city was finally about to be overrun, God told him to buy land. And Jeremiah obeyed immediately. But then he began to have second thoughts. Ever happened to you? Some, some certainty that God is saying, here's what I want you to do and you get some sort of confirmation or sense of, yes, this has got to be it. And just as soon as you put all of your chips in the middle of the table, as soon as you sign the deed, you go, oh, God, I, I'm sure I've blown this one. This, this isn't the right investment. This, I can just tell you, this one's not going to work out. I had that feeling. I've had that feeling a number of times. But I had that feeling March the 17th in 2002. A month before in February, with some pretty good reluctance, I agreed to be spokesperson for a new church. I wasn't going to be the pastor. I'm just the spokesperson. I'm the person who's going to stand up, say a few things about what we were trying to do. And I agreed in February and March the 17th was the first Sunday that we met here. And I remember going down to the nursery where Nancy served, I think, for 14 weeks in a row. You think nursery duty is tough now. 
And so she was down there and I, and I said goodbye to her, pray for me, you know. And I walked up the hall and a little two-year-old was coming down the hallway. And, and I bent down to say hello to the two-year-old. And I remember looking at this two-year-old thinking, I wish I was two. <laughs> oh, remember two? Oh, two is so much easier. And I got up and I, I walked down the hallway. I'm walking into the chapel and, and I'm praying this prayer. Oh, God, what have I done? This is a bad investment. And these people don't even realize it yet. I mean, this is the wrong, wrong place. This is the wrong time. This isn't going to work out well. It's not going to work out well for me. And Lord, I can just tell you, it's not going to work out too good for you either. You ever had those feelings that just, you, you have some sense God wants you to go that way, but it just, you just can't see far enough down the line to say that this really is going to have any value. The reason I, I like this passage, and particularly the end of this prayer in verse 24 and 25, again, this is just exactly the same kind of thing I would do. Jeremiah in verse 24 and 25, you notice the word behold. He's praying to God, and this is basically what he's saying. God, I would like for you to see what I see. Because I'm not sure you're getting the same viewpoint that I am. And so I would like to fill you in on some of the details down here. Maybe you're a little bit of a distance, you're a little bit of a disadvantage, and I'd like to help you understand what's happening. Do you see the siege ramps that are coming up to the city? I mean, just making sure we're on the same page. It's not looking good down here. Do you see that the property that I'm putting my money into is currently under ownership by somebody a lot stronger than I am? Can you? I'm just, God, I'm just making sure. You ever had that conversation with God? Just making sure, God, that you see everything. And that's the kind of conversation Jeremiah was having. The reason I point this out is if you and I are really going to be a, a true follower of Christ, it is a certainty that we will have to make an investment in something that from our standpoint just doesn't make sense. If you and I are really going to be followers of Christ, you and I at some point are going to be asked to make investments in things that you would just say, you know what, this one just doesn't make sense. We are going to have to be just like Jeremiah at some point. And that the return on the investment just seems so far down the line that perhaps you just think, this, this isn't going to work out. And you or I are going to continue to have to be faithful followers just like Jeremiah was. There's a pretty well-known missionary in the 1850s named John Patton. He lived in London, and he, like Jeremiah, got a word from the Lord. And his word was, John, I would like for you to go bring the gospel to cannibals who live on islands in the South Pacific. Now, how would you like that one? I mean, that sounds a lot like this investment strategy God's got going on with Jeremiah. <laughs> One day, Patton received some criticism from some people in London. 
one named Mr. Dickerson. And in the biography, this is what it says. Mr. Dickerson exploded. The cannibals! You will be eaten by cannibals! I love this response by Patton. Mr. Dickinson, you are advanced in years. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. There to be eaten by worms. I confess to you, Mr. Dickinson, that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior. You see, you're going to have to move out in directions that just seem counterintuitive. I mean, that's the whole nature of what Jesus is saying in the New Testament. If anyone wants life and everyone's volunteering, then you must give up your life. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last. In 1958, Patton and his pregnant wife, Mary, celebrated as their ship came ashore, one of their first islands in the South Pacific. A few months later, John and Mary gave birth to their first son in February. And in March, by hand, John had to dig two graves, one for his wife and one for his son. They caught a fever, and they both died in the same week. So John spent the next four years on that island by himself. He wrote this, stunned by that dreadful loss and entering upon this field of labor to which the Lord had Himself so evidently called me. My reason seemed for a time almost to give away. You hear, you hear that same exact prayer? God, I knew You called me. But I'm digging the graves of my wife and my first son. This just doesn't seem to make sense. Not everyone is going to receive a word from the Lord like Jeremiah or John Patton. But, but everybody's going to be asked to make an investment. An investment in time, an investment in money, an investment in relationship. Something that you're going to say, you know, from my vantage point, this just doesn't seem to make sense. I don't see where this is going. And it's very possible that you won't see it on this side of heaven. John Patton got to see something that was helpful for him. It took 30 years. He recorded this 30 years after his arrival. On our own island, 3,500 cannibals had been led to renounce their heathenism. In Fiji, 80,000 cannibals had been brought under the influence of the gospel. 13,000 members of the churches are professing to live and work for Jesus. In Samoa, 34,000 cannibals have professed Christianity. And in 19 years, its college has sent forth 206 native teachers and evangelists. God is calling everyone here to make an investment like that.
an investment where you're going to have to have some anticipation. If you're just investing on location, 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 what you can see right now, you're not going to give to bigger purposes. In order to make this kind of investment, we have to understand the investment that Jesus has made in us. And we see this shadow of it in this particular picture. How is it that somebody can land on an island that's full of cannibals? I mean, that, talk about counterintuitive. And it must be that the person is driven by some much larger vision, something else that is even a greater reality than what they're facing on earth. And that's exactly what Jeremiah sees here. Jeremiah is a shadow of a future investment and that is, or investor, and that's Christ. And Jeremiah, some of you might be familiar with this term, is a kinsman redeemer. Or in this translation, he has the right of redemption. This is an idea that you see back in Leviticus 25. You could read about it in the book of Ruth. But just to sort of explain it briefly, the idea was that when the people of God had entered the land and he's distributed the land, kind of like an inheritance, to his people, God didn't want the land to fall out of the family. And so if somebody couldn't pay, they landed in poverty conditions and they just couldn't keep up the land and pay for the land, then somebody had to come in and buy the land back. And that somebody was a male who was the next near relative, and they had to have the ability to make the purchase. And so, the cousin comes from Anathoth and says, Jeremiah, you're a kinsman redeemer. You're the next nearest male relative who can now purchase this property back, because it's it's going to fall into enemy hands. And so, Jeremiah makes the purchase. And you can see that in these verses. He makes a payment of 17 pieces of silver. He signs a purchase deed. He meets all the terms and conditions of the contract. He puts his signature on it. He gets witnesses to watch it. He then puts a seal on it. And then he gives this scroll to Baruch, who is his partner, his friend. And he says, okay, Baruch, you need to hold on to this. You need to keep it into a safe place. You need to put it in some earthen vessel so that the scroll will never be taken away. And then when God's people come back into the land, we'll pull out the scroll and the person who has the right of ownership will break the seal and say, look, I purchased this land. This land is mine. And that's what Jeremiah does. And you and I can already see the picture. Can you not I mean, that's the shadow, but you're already seeing the cross in that shadow. Because of our sin, we have sold off our inheritance. Every person in the world has sold off their inheritance. We were once sons and daughters of the Most High King. And we sold that off. We sold it off to somebody who's not in the family. And we're in such impoverished spiritual condition, there is no way we can buy that inheritance back. And so we need a kinsman redeemer. We need a a next nearest male relative who has the ability to pay, 
to come in our behalf and say, I'm going to make a payment. I'm going to make a redemption. I'm going to purchase something back that I want to stay in the family. And Jesus is the only person who can do that. He meets all the terms and conditions of the broken contract. He was perfect in every way. And when Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. He's telling the whole universe a purchase has been made. I'm purchasing back that which was mine. I'm bringing it back into the family. Done in front of many witnesses on a cross. The signature is in His blood. And on the cross, He takes the scroll, He hands it to God, and He says, God, one day, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to break the seal. And I'm going to let everybody know, these are mine. I have made a payment. And nobody can take it away from me. And that's exactly what you see in Revelation chapter 5. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a voice, Who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? But nobody in heaven or earth or under the earth, I couldn't find anybody who could break the seal of the scroll. And I started to weep. And then one of the elders says, Do not weep. See? The Lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. He alone is able to break the seal and to open the scroll. And then I looked and I saw a lamb. A lamb as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne. And he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of God who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, they sang this new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you are slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God. With your blood, you purchased men for God. He looked at our low estate. He regarded our helpless estate. And He didn't pay it in part, but He paid it in whole. And it's nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. And one day He's going to come and He's going to come to God and He's saying, God, I want that scroll. And there's only one person who can take that scroll from God's hand and that is the Lamb who was slain. And He takes the scroll and He will break the seal and He will open the scroll and He will say, look at these names. These are mine. I have paid everything for these people. And you will not have to bear it anymore. Now, if I was in Robert's church, I'd hear, Amen, brother! Keep preaching! Do you not hear how great that news is? That He alone is going to come and one day you will stand with Him and He's going to show you that piece of paper and He's going to show you your name written in His blood and He's going to say, Paul, I paid that down for you. You were in the enemy's territory and I came and I purchased you back. Now you're mine. 
Now you now are going to reign on the, in the new heavens and the new earth forevermore. You see, if you, if you really have that in mind, if you truly believe that, it's not a fairy tale. It could happen this afternoon. The, the skies could roll back like a scroll. And it could happen today. But one day, it will happen. Jesus Christ will come back. And He's going to show you His investments. If you really believe that, then you can invest in anything on this earth. You see that? If you really don't believe that, then your 401k goes down by 40%. If you really don't believe that, and your dad, who's in the army, walks out of the door and gets in a helicopter accident and never comes back. Or if your mom, who finds a lump in her breast, and 14, minutes, 14 months later, you're burying her. If you go to an island with your pregnant wife, and you have to dig the graves for your wife and your son, if you don't really understand that the Lamb of God is going to come, and He's going to redeem all that, then you're not going to go. You're going to be biting your nails over your checkbook. And over the furniture in your house. And the clothes you're wearing today. And whether somebody likes you or not. But if you really understand the glorious inheritance that is awaiting everyone who believes, that any kind of investment you make today, you'll understand it's got a much bigger reward in a time that I may not be able to see. Jeremiah spent 40 years preaching to the same group of people. He bought a piece of property he never lived to, to, to live on it. He was making an investment. He was making an anticipation of something that was to come. And I really want you to have that mindset that it's really going to happen. And therefore, you can go give yourself in a relationship that just doesn't make sense. I just don't want to stay in this relationship. I don't see anything coming out of this relationship. This is a waste of my life on this earth. Why am I stuck here? I don't want to give up the comforts of this country and move to a country that has no known Christians in a population. Why would I want to do that? I might be killed for my faith. I don't want to give up my comforts and live at a different level financially in order to support other people who are going. I just don't want to do that. And if you think that way, then you don't see far enough ahead. You only see 10 or 20 or 50 years ahead. What about a billion years from now? What kind of investment are you making today that's going to be giving back to you in a billion years? That's the kind of viewpoint that Jeremiah has. That's the kind of viewpoint John Patton has. And that's the kind of viewpoint you and I must have. If we're really going to make an investment today in a location that may not look very good. It might be a high school campus. It might be a college campus. It might be a neighbor. It might be in your business. It might be a hundred other places. 
For the Lamb of God is returning. And one day you will stand before Him and He will open that scroll. If you've trusted in Him, He will have paid, not in part, but the whole. Let's pray together. Lord, some of us, all of us, need to behold the Lamb. I mean, Jeremiah was trying to get your attention and saying, God, behold what's happening down here. And here in Revelation 5, you're trying to get our attention and you're trying to use each one of our names and saying, listen, behold the Lamb. You need to be paying attention to the Lamb, not to your location right now. Some of us have invested in this life. And whether it's going well or it's not today, it is not. It is shifting scene. And so I pray for anyone here who has not trusted in you as their Savior, that today they could be sure that their name was written on the scroll. Lord, I pray for people here that have invested. They've invested their life in a relationship that doesn't appear to be giving much of a return. They've invested in a friend or a ministry or or their own children. And, And they're tired Pray that they would see the grace of God today in the land. That, that, that it would give them strength that you have come down and invested your eternal glory in their lives. Help us behold the land. Who is slain.